Good morning, Ethos. Hope you're doing great. My name's Dave, and if you're just joining us this morning for the first time, we're so honored that you're with us. Man, it was it was fun as we were worshiping and getting ready for worship, seeing people logging in from all across the city and all across the states and even across the nations. And it's one of the real beauties kind of in this season as we're scattered out all over the place, we get to come together as the body of Jesus. And so honored that you're here with us this morning. If you have a Bible, John chapter 21, is where we're gonna be together, that passage that was just read over us by some folks from our church family. And as you're turning there, kind of two quick things, and then I wanna pray for us. Uh, Number one, if you're a kid and you're watching with us this morning, it's been amazing over the last several weeks seeing the way that kids all across our church are kind of reclaiming kind of the old gift of letter writing. And so my kids have been writing letters to people and my kids have been receiving letters. And if you're a kid this morning and you're watching, I wanna encourage you, take some time as we're opening the scriptures and to draw a picture or to write a letter uh, about what God is doing in your heart. And then sometime this week, send it to one of the kids that you normally get to worship with, one of your friends from class that you haven't got to see during this time. And so if you're a kid, I wanna encourage you to do that. We're so glad that you guys get to worship with us every week in this way. Second thing, you know, this morning I woke up and as I was driving to the office, it's just a beautiful day, and it dawned on me that today is May 3rd, which means yesterday was graduation day for so many students across our church family. Normally, the first Sunday of May is a big deal for us. We have so many college students that are in our church. It's a Sunday where we have our students stand up, and we pray over you, and we kind of send you into the next season. And I really know that yesterday was probably not the graduation that you imagined. It was not kind of the moment that you had planned for, but man, I've been praying for you. I've been thinking about you. And so this morning, as we get ready to jump into the Word, I just want to pray over all of our college students that are kind of entering into a new phase of life uh, under really unusual circumstances. And so if you're in a room this morning with a college student, you can lay hands on that person if you're related and don't want to get them sick or whatever. If you are by yourself and you're a student, you can lay hands on yourself, whatever you want to do. We're just going to pray over you uh, virtually this morning morning for what's happening in this season. I believe God has big plans for you. So let's pray as we get ready to jump into the Word. Father, I love you, and I just love these students. God, it has been such a gift to have a church just filled with college students, not just over the years, but in this last season. So many tremendous students, God, so many of them that are stepping into a brand new reality today. And that brand new reality uh, probably does not feel the way they imagine it. God, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you overwhelm them with your joy, with your life, with your peace, with your hope, with your vision? God, would you direct them? Would you lead them? Um, God, would you, would you help them step in this next season however you see fit? God, you're in charge, and we're so grateful for that. We love you, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray and give thanks. Amen. Amen. John chapter 21 is where we're going to be together this morning. And so I don't know what your week was like. It was, it was a really fun and kind of unusual week for my, church, or for my family. Um, my wife, Sydney, and I, we celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary on Wednesday, which is crazy. It's crazy that we've been married that long, that she's put up with me for that long. But, you know, we were sitting there on our anniversary going, man, this is not exactly what we imagined. Like, you know, uh, just imagine if you got married today and then you thought 15 years in the future, I guarantee you, you wouldn't imagine celebrating in quarantine. But we had an amazing anniversary. Our boys, along with some of our dear friends, put on a little surprise dinner for us. And our boys had a table set, some of our favorite food catered in, and they dressed up like waiters and they served us and it was amazing. So our actual anniversary was incredible. But the day before, which was Tuesday night, I was really just kind of in a funk. You know, around our house, anniversaries are a big deal. Sydney and I love to celebrate them. And so on Tuesday night, I was just feeling sorry for myself. I don't know if you've had any of those moments during this quarantine where 
you think about what was supposed to be, and then you look at what is, and then you just get really depressed. And so that's kind of how I was feeling on Tuesday night. I tucked our boys into bed, and then I went to Kroger to buy Sydney some flowers and a card that was way more expensive than it should be. I should have gotten in the greeting card business, but there I was in Kroger, and I'm wearing this mask, like smelling my own breath, which is horrible, you know, and I'm holding these flowers, and I'm holding this greeting card that I paid way too much money for, and I'm socially distanced from all these other human beings, and I look around this line at Kroger, and everybody seemed just as depressed as me. Now, I don't know if that's fair. Maybe I was just projecting my emotions on them, but I look around, everybody seems sad and down, and in that moment, I just started daydreaming about how much I wish I could just get back to life as normal. And I don't know if you've had any of these moments. I started daydreaming about how fun it would be to sit on the porch at Satco and eat tacos with my friends and hang out. I started imagining how fun it would be if we could just show up on a Sunday and worship in our crowded venues, be with a bunch of other people that are invading our personal space and worshiping Jesus together. I, I thought about how every summer, I kind of have, have this tradition where I'll take each of my boys on a personal, just one-on-one -on -one baseball trip, and we'll go on a road trip together, we'll hang out for the weekend, and I was just imagining how fun it would be. And in the midst of that, that moment, as I was looking around feeling depressed, the the more I reflected back on what I was missing, the sadder I became. And I don't know if you've had that happen at all, where you just found yourself going, man, I wish we could get back. Now, I read a fascinating article this week. You know, Spotify, which is one of the biggest music streaming services in the world, they released some fascinating data that during this quarantine, they said the number of people listening to new music has de decreased dramatically, while the number of people listening to old music has increased significantly. That in this season, like just kind of subconsciously as human beings, we have this tendency to go, man, I want to listen to songs from my glory days. I want to think back. I wish I could be anywhere but the moment that I'm in. I read another article that talked about how interesting it was that in this season, people have a tendency to watch old TV shows and to watch old movies and to eat old comfort foods. You know, there was this one night a few weeks ago in quarantine where I asked Sydney, I said, what are we doing tonight? She said, I'm making Hamburger Helper and we're watching America's Funniest Videos. And I thought, I haven't eaten that food and I haven't watched that show since like 1991. And here we were, you know, just subconsciously going, man, how do we get back? Like, how do we go back? And I think it's the longing in the heart of humanity right now, when you find yourself in the midst of uncertainty and you're fearful about what's coming, there's this desperate, like, how do we hold on to what was? And I want to be really clear, um, being sad about what we've left behind, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with longing for normal to return. In fact, I'm hoping some normalcy will return in the days and weeks and months ahead. But I was convicted by the Holy Spirit this week that the more I hold on to the past, the more difficult it is for me to follow Jesus into the future. The more I hold on to what was, it's really difficult for me to see what is and what's becoming. And I'm deeply convicted that Jesus' greatest priority in this season is not getting our church back to normal. Like Jesus is not sitting around going, man, how do I get things back to normal? How do I open this back up? I believe Jesus is saying, I've got greater things in store for you than you could ever ask or imagine because this is the essence of the gospel. Following Jesus roots us in these two kind of paradoxical tensions. The fact that Christianity is both simultaneously rooted in the past while it leans with hope towards the future. That Jesus is still the same God who loves to bring the best wine at the end of the party. That's just who he is. And so all week long as I've kind of found myself going, man, God, I wish I could go back. Jesus has kept saying, hey, Dave, I've got more for you if you'll keep stepping into that. And so this morning for the next few minutes out of John 21, I just want to wrestle with, man, what does it look like for us to be people 
who even as we're grieving some of the things that have been lost, what does it look like to follow Jesus with hope into the days ahead? And I love this story in John 21. I hope you were paying attention a few minutes ago as some folks from our church read it over you. It's a beautiful story, and we don't have time to unpack all of it. But here's the context that I wanna give you. You know, three years earlier, Jesus had showed up into the lives of these guys and gals, unexpected, uninvited, and he invited them into the most incredible adventure of their life. The disciples didn't just get a rabbi or a teacher or a spiritual guru. They got a front row seat to the greatest human being who was fully God, fully man that had ever lived. They saw the kingdom of God breaking in in ways they could never imagine. The sick healed, the dead raised, the storms calmed. They saw it all. But just a few days before the story that we're going to look at this morning in John 21, Jesus' life took an unexpected turn, at least for his followers. Even though he told them this was coming, he was brutally arrested and beaten and crucified. For three days, he lay dead in a tomb. And then on a Sunday morning, he raised from the dead. And all of a sudden, the disciples, we find them in this moment in John 21, they find themselves just on the other side of a life-changing event. And I think sometimes when we read these stories from a distance, it's really easy kind of in our religious boxes to, to miss out on just the full freight of what they're experiencing. I'm just saying there is no box big enough to put the disruptive reality that the disciples were in and that they're going through. And so all of a sudden, they find themselves stepping into a phrase that we've heard over and over during this last season. They're stepping into a new normal and they have to figure out how do we follow Jesus now? And I love where John 21 picks up. Look at verse one with me. It says, afterwards, after the resurrection, this is a few days after Jesus had been raised from the dead, it said, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and it happened this way. Simon Peter and Thomas, who's also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I love that moment where John doesn't even bother to write the two other disciples. Don't you know? They were like, bro, why did you put our names in the Bible? Like, we were there too. And John's like, I don't like you not writing your names. Don't know why I did that. But he says, just two other guys were there as well. Number, uh, verse 3. Peter says, I'm going out to fish, he told them. And they said, we will go with you. So they went out and they got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And once you notice this scene, there's been this life-altering reality. There's been this life-changing event. Something has just shifted. And all of a sudden, the disciples have gone back to doing what they did before they met Jesus in the first place. You know, over the years, I've, I've heard so many people kind of come up with theories like, why'd they go back to fishing you know, after the resurrection? I've heard people say, this is proof that the disciples had lost their faith, or this is proof that they'd given up on the mission, or this is proof that they were so broken in shame they couldn't step forward. And, and maybe there's some truth to all of that, but I believe honestly, when we look at the story, that's being a little harsh on these guys. I think the reality is the disciples were just acting like humans in the midst of the craziest disruption they'd ever experienced that when you feel the shaking of the present and the uncertainty of the future, there's this longing to go back to the comfort of the past. I don't know that these guys had given up on Jesus. I don't know that these guys had sold out the mission. I think these guys were just desperately clinging for normal, kind of like I was doing the other night in the grocery store. I was just like, man, how do I get back? I think Peter and these guys are going, man, how do, we, how do we just get back? How do we make sense of what it is that's happened? You know, you see this all throughout human history. You see this in the scriptures where the people of God, the Israelites in the Old Testament, they were, they were held as slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And there's this moment where God raises up a leader named Moses to take them out of slavery. And they're traveling through the wilderness. They're no longer where they used to be. They're also not yet where they're supposed to be in the promised land. They're somewhere in between. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this in your own life, but when you find yourself in these in-between moments, like the moment all of humanity is in right now, when you're in this in-between place, not where you used to be, 
not where you're going to be. There's this, there's this temptation to be filled with fear and doubt and, and, and um, speculation and all of this stuff, and it's in the midst of this that the disciples begin to reach back, saying, how do we get back? It's what the Israelites did when they were wandering through the wilderness. They, they wanted to go back to Egypt over and over and over. Why? Because the predictability of their past was more comforting than the uncertainty of the future. Have you ever noticed that? That sometimes, like even the past, when it's not that great, you're going, man, I want to get back. Because even the, the certainty of what was feels more comforting than the uncertainty of what's to come. This past year, I had a good friend who's just a couple of years younger than me. His wife got diagnosed with a terminal illness. And right after it happened, he started picking up these old hobbies, these hobbies he hadn't touched since he was a young kid. And so one day he and I were, were talking about this and he said, yeah, there's something about the familiar pastimes that help me cope with the uncertain future. That just doing these old things helps me move forward. His wife passed away a few months ago and I just see him out living into these things because sometimes when the world begins to shake, the only thing we know how to do is reach back. That's what's going on with the disciples. That's what's going on with some of us even in this season. Oh man, I just wanna get back. I just, I wanna go back. But here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus sees them as they're holding on to the past and he meets them exactly where they are and he calls them into the future. He meets them where they are and he calls them into the future. Look at verse four with me. It says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. Remember the disciples are out fishing at this point. But the disciples did not recognize that it was Jesus. So he called out to them and he said, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Uh, this is one of the most beautiful pictures of Jesus. Uh, this is the essence of Christianity. This is the essence of Jesus, is that when we are in the mess, Jesus comes to us. He doesn't wait for us to come to them. He doesn't wait for us to come to him. It's not like Jesus is sitting over on a mountainside just, hey, when they'll get their act together, when they're done fishing, they can come find me. Like The essence of Christianity is not a bunch of rules, a bunch of to-dos in hopes that you can make your way to God. The story of the gospel is that God made his way to you, that he made his way to me, that he came in flesh, he lived among us. He taught, he spoke, he laughed, he ate meals, he, he, he raised the dead, he healed the sick, he died, he raised back to life, and he says, I'm here with you always. That's the essence of the gospel, and our religious spirit is so opposed to that, we're constantly finding ways to make that untrue. There's no way, there's no way God comes to us. There's no way God humbles himself. There's no way God would do this, but you see this right after the resurrection, right after these guys had abandoned Jesus, right after they turned their backs, what does Jesus do? He does what God does best. He comes to people that are struggling. I mean, some of you that you're sitting there this morning and this quarantine has been brutal for you. You've been struggling. You've been just dying to get back. And Jesus is saying, I want to meet you right where you are. It's who he is. It's what he does. He shows up to meet them right where they are. It keeps going like this. Verse six. And then he said to them, throw down your nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some fish. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. I love this scene. Like Peter is so overwhelmed with joy. He's not even thinking straight. He's in a boat. He sees Jesus. He puts on his, his like snow jacket and jumps in the water and begins to swim. I, I don't know why he did that. Just so filled with joy. And it's so beautiful. Jesus comes to them as they're holding on to the past. And he's about to begin inviting them into the future. And I want you to see what Jesus is going to do here. He's so brilliant. Jesus is going to remind the disciples of their complex relational history with Jesus. He's going to remind them of the ups and the downs, of the successes and the struggles, of the highs and the lows, the moments they're proud of and the moments they're disappointed in. And Jesus is going to do that in John 21 
by literally recreating two of the most significant moments in Peter's life. He's gonna recreate the moment that he called Peter to follow him, and he's gonna recreate the moment where Peter was filled with pride, sold out his friends, and then denied Jesus. And, and Jesus is recalling the past not to, not to make Peter feel bad, He's recalling the past because he knows that unless Jesus deals with the unfinished business of Peter's past, Peter will never be able to step into the future. And so there's this moment here where he says, hey, you didn't catch any fish last night. You're tired, you're disappointed. Do you, do you remember a few years earlier how Jesus first met Peter? Peter had fished all night, hadn't caught anything. He was utterly disappointed. Jesus said, throw your nets out on the other side. Jesus recreates a miracle. He recreates a moment. It's like when you're at a concert watching your favorite band. Remember concerts when you go see people play live? It's like you're at a concert watching your favorite band and they begin to play that riff to the song that you love the most. Like, I'm convinced that when Peter threw the net on the other side and it began to fill with fish, Peter went, oh, I know this song. I've heard this before. I've seen this. He's like, Jesus has done it again. And there's this moment where Jesus begins to recreate Peter's calling. Peter gets in, he swims to the shore. If you keep reading the story, it's what they read over us earlier. Peter gets in, he's soaking wet. I'm convinced he gave Jesus a big bear hug. Now Jesus is soaking wet and they're sitting on the shore and Jesus has made a fire and he's cooking breakfast. And now all of a sudden, Jesus is getting ready to recreate Peter's uh, moment of greatest shame. If you remember a few days earlier, unlike Peter's calling, there's a moment where, where Peter just crashed. He hit rock bottom. They were at the Last Supper and Jesus had stood up among his friends. He said, hey, in just a little while, one of you is gonna betray me and all of you are gonna abandon me. And, G and Peter, in pride, stood up and said, Jesus, even if every one of my friends sold you out, he said, I'm gonna stick with you. And Jesus looked at him and said, buddy, he said, in a, just a few hours, you are going to deny me three times before the sun comes up. And sure enough, it'd be a few hours later while Jesus was being wrongfully tried in the middle of the night, Peter would be sitting around a campfire with a bunch of people he didn't know, and a young servant girl would say, hey, aren't you with Jesus? And three times, Peter would deny him. And so there's this moment where Jesus has just recreated, recreated Peter's most wonderful moment. And now, Jesus is about to bring Peter face to face with his, his most cringeworthy moment. He's sitting around the fire, and notice what Jesus says to him in verse 15. It says, when they had finished eating breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you really love me more than these? And I think it's an interesting question. I've heard people say that Jesus was talking about the fish there, and maybe he was. I don't think Jesus was asking Peter if he loved him more than his fishing business. Remember, there's other friends there, the very friends that were at the Last Supper with him, and I think Jesus is looking around that campfire saying, hey, hey, Peter, do you really love me more than these guys? Did you love me more than all of these guys? And this feels cruel if you don't understand the heart of Jesus, but you have to understand, Jesus is not just bringing up an old moment of brokenness. He's giving Peter a do-over. <laughs> He's given him another shot, guys. This is the God we serve. He's a God not just of second chances. I hear that all the time and I hate it. God is not a God of second chances. He's a God of a million chances, 10 million chances, a billion chances, over and over and over. He meets us in our past. He deals with the unfinished business. He gives us the moment of redemption and he calls us into the future. I love it. He knew that if he didn't deal with Peter's shame, Peter couldn't move forward. He knew that if he didn't deal with Peter's moment of greatest success, he couldn't move forward. See, Jesus knew that we have this tendency as human beings to romanticize the past or to demonize it. We tend to look back at the past and we see it through the lens of everything was great. You know, you hated that job while you were in it, 
And then you got into a new job that you hate more, so now you miss the old one, right? Or you were in that relationship and you didn't like that relationship and then you got out of it, now you don't have a relationship and you just think back and you just romanticize it, right? Or sometimes you go the other direction. You look back on the past and, and you demonize it. You only see the bad. And here's what I love about Jesus. Man, hear me if you tune me out. Please listen on this. Jesus looks Peter right in the eyes and Jesus is looking you right in the eyes this morning. He says, I know everything about you. I know everything about you. You're not as good as your best moments. You're not as bad as your worst moments. I've seen it all, and I still want you. I still want you. Come and follow me. And he shows up. He finds the disciples on the other side. They're stepping into the new normal. The world is shaken. They don't know how to move forward. Jesus meets them in their past and begins to call them. We'll end like this. Look at verse 18 with me. He says, very truly I tell you, talking to Peter, he says, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. I want you to notice what Jesus is doing. He says, Peter, this is where you were and this is where you're going. And the way that you move from where you were to where you're going to be is by following me. He says, you follow me. He doesn't give him a big list of here's 10 things you do. Here's a bunch of behaviors you ignore. Here's some rules you have to follow. He says, you stick close to me. And I love, I love Peter's response if you keep reading. Peter looks over and he doesn't exactly like what Jesus had told him the future is gonna look like. Peter liked the past better and Jesus said, I'm gonna be with you in this. Come follow me. And Peter looks over and he sees his friend John walking and he says, hey Jesus, what about John? Like, is, is John gonna have the same outcome as me? And I love Jesus' response. He says, don't worry about this. Look at verse 22 with me. Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. It's like so often when I'm talking with my kids, I'm like, hey, will you take the trash out? Well, is my brother gonna have to do something? I'm like, don't worry about your brother. Just follow me. Just listen to me. Remember years ago, Sydney and I were in this season where we knew God was calling us into some new things and it was gonna, it was gonna require some faith to, to charge some new hills and to step into stuff we had never stepped into before. And I remember in that season, I kept praying, Jesus, would you just give us a roadmap? Man, just show us what to do. And one morning I was talking with the Lord and I didn't hear his audible voice, but the Spirit of God just spoke so clearly into my heart. He said, Dave, if I give you the roadmap, you'll be tempted to leave me behind. I'm not gonna give you the roadmap, I'm just gonna give you myself. Just wake up and stick close to me. And so Peter hears from Jesus. Jesus shows up in his uncertainty. Peter's clinging to the past. Jesus says, hey, you just sit close to me. You just, you just follow me. You just, you just walk with me. And guys, like, I know we're in this really crazy season where some of us are grieving and longing for the return to normal. And there's nothing wrong with missing the past, but don't let your grieving the past blind you of the opportunity in the future. The Lord's saying, hey, the best is still to come. Who knows what church is gonna look like over the next few weeks or a few months or a few years? Who knows what school and life and relationships? We don't know any of those things, but what we know is that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's the same God that's still bringing out the best wine at the end of the party. He's saying the best has been saved for last. And I'm just telling you, I'm not saying this just optimistically. I believe this is theologically true, is that the best days for our church family, the best days of the kingdom of God are still in, the, still in front of us. They're still ahead. I think it's interesting, we spent the first part of this year studying Isaiah 43, verses 18 through 20. We spent three weeks together studying this, where it says, forget the former things. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up in the wilderness. Don't you perceive it? We spent three weeks saying, God, do the unexpected. And then we fasted for five weeks that God would move in our neighborhoods. And then what happened out of that? All of a sudden, you've been quarantined. 
to your neighborhood. I'm not saying that God has caused it. What I'm saying is God has given you an unparalleled opportunity. And that if we'd have the eyes to see where the kingdom of God is springing up, the best is still ahead. And we're gonna get there, not through great plans and strategies and roadmaps. We get there as we choose to trust and follow Jesus. There's some of you that are joining us right now and you've never trusted Jesus. You've never jumped out of the boat for the first time. You know, this was Peter's second time to get out of the boat and chase after Jesus. But some of you have never done it for the first time and you have no clue how to entrust Jesus with the shame of your past, with your struggles, with your successes, much less your future. And I just wanna encourage you, you can send us an email, at share at ethoschurch.org. And someone from our pastoral team, we would love to connect with you and just say, hey, here's how you take that step today. You can be forgiven today, filled with the Spirit of God today, walking with Jesus today. And for some of you, your first step is to get out of the boat and follow Jesus for the first time. There are others of you that maybe you've never followed or you followed Jesus in the past, but you've never figured out how to follow him in the present. You're like, I don't have any clue. Like, I made a decision years ago, but I don't know how to hear his voice in the midst of the uncertainty that we're in. And I really wanna encourage you today to stick online with us all the way to the end of this live stream. Aaron and Brandon are gonna share some really important next steps for how you can live some of this stuff out practically this week. You know, one of those things they're gonna talk about are these things called grow classes. They're gonna start up next week, you can sign up today, but we have these classes that are designed to teach you how to do the very thing we've been talking about today in John 21. We have one class that's literally built on how do you learn how to hear the voice of God in your life today? It's a great class if you've never figured out how to follow Jesus like this. We have a, another class called First Freedoms where you invite Jesus to come in and to deal with the shame of your past so you can step into the future. We have other classes on how do you develop rhythms so you can walk with Jesus in practical ways every day. And so maybe for some of you, as you're trying to follow Jesus into the deeper waters, it's gonna be signing up for a grow class. Maybe for some of you, it's gonna be signing up for an online freedom prayer session. If you've been around Ethos for any amount of time, you've probably heard us talk about freedom prayer, but I'm convinced that freedom prayer is one of the most practical ways for you to experience a John 21 moment. What I've found is every time I sit down in freedom prayer session with two of our trained prayer team members, they'll spend just a couple hours praying with you and Jesus tends to do what he does right here in John 21 with Peter. He meets you where you are, he ties up some of the unfinished business of your past, not in an accusatory way, but because he wants you to know he sees you. And then he invites you into the future. And I know we're quarantined right now, but we're still having online freedom prayer. It's an amazing thing. It's a great thing to step into. Maybe it's a growth class, maybe it's freedom prayer, or maybe you just need to talk with someone from our pastoral team. Once again, send us an email to share at ethoschurch.org. And we'd love to connect with you if there's any way we can serve you. See, Jesus is saying, hey guys, the future's bright. Yeah, mourn the past. You can feel whatever it is that you're feeling in the present and bring it to me. But don't let those things blind you from following me into the joy of the future because the best is still ahead. And so right now around communion, in your homes, I wanna invite you to get the bread, to, to get the wine, and to do two things. Number one, I'm gonna invite you to just spend some time thanking Jesus for removing every barrier that needs to be removed so you can walk in close friendship with him. And then secondly, I just wanna invite you in that communion time to ask Jesus, hey, come in, lead our family, lead our roommates, lead our house, lead me into more fullness, into more life, into more depth, into more joy. And so as we break the bread, as we take the cup, give thanks, ask God for more, and then we'll end with some worship and some practical next steps for living out John 21. Let me pray over you. Father, I love you and I love these people. God, thank you that we get to do this together. Thank you, Lord, would you meet us 
in any of those places of lingering shame, in any of those struggles, any of those places where we're holding on too tightly to the past and we can't see what's ahead, God, give us creativity, give us innovation, give us joy, give us hope, but more than any of that, give us yourself and teach us how to follow you. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen. I love you. Let's take communion together.